Welcome to this uvula audio presentation of Stiff Upper Lip Jeeves by P.G. Woodhouse. Volume 6, Chapter 19. Stinker's nose, as was only to be expected, had swollen a good deal since last heard from, but he seemed in excellent spirits, and Stiffy couldn't have been merrier and brighter. Both were obviously thinking in terms of the happy ending and my heart bled freely for the unfortunate young slobs. I had observed Pop Bassett closely while Spode was telling him about Stinker's left hook, and what I read on his countenance had not been encouraging. These patrons of livings with vicarages to bestow always hold rather rigid views as regards the qualifications they demand from curates they are thinking of promoting to fields of higher activity, and left hooks, however adroit, are not among them. If Pop Bassett had been a fight promoter on the lookout for talent, and Stinker a promising novice anxious to be on his next program for a six-round preliminary bout, he would no doubt have gazed on him with a kindly eye. As it was, the eye he was now directing at him was as cold and bleak as if my old crony had been standing before him in the dock charged with having moved pigs without a permit, or failed to abate a smoky chimney. I could see trouble looming, and I wouldn't have risked a bet on the happy E, even at the most liberal odds. The stickiness of the atmosphere, so patently to my keenest sense, had not communicated itself to Stiffy, though. No voice was whispering in her ear that she was about to be let down with a thud that would jar her to the back teeth. She was all smiles and viv, whatever the word is, plainly convinced that the signing on the dotted line was now a mere formality. Here we are, Uncle Watkin. She said, beaming freely. So I see. I've brought Harold. So I perceive. We've talked it over, and we think we ought to have the thing embodied in the form of a letter. Pop Bass's eyes grew colder and bleaker, and the feeling I had that we were all back in Barsha Street Police Court deepened. Nothing, it seemed to me, was needed to complete the illusion except a magistrate's clerk with a cold in the head, a fog you could cut through with a knife, and a few young barristers hanging about, hoping for dock briefs. I fear I do not understand you, he said. Oh, come, Uncle Watkin, you know you're brighter than that. I'm talking about Harold's vicarage. I am not aware that Mr. Pinker had a vicarage. Oh, the one you were going to give him, I mean. Oh said Pop Bassett, and I have seldom heard an O that had a nastier sound. I have just seen Roderick, he added, getting down to the res. At the mention of Spode's name, Stiffy giggled, and I could have told her it was a mistake. There is a time for girlish frivolity, and a time when it is misplaced. It had not escaped my notice that Pop Bassett had begun to swell like one of those curious circular fish you catch down in Florida. In addition to this, he was rumbling, as I imagine volcanoes do, before starting in in the neighboring householders and making them wish they had settled elsewhere. But even now, Stiffy seemed to have no sense of impending doom. She uttered another silvery laugh. I've noticed the slowness in getting hep to atmospheric conditions in other girls. The young of the gentlest sex never appear to realize that there are moments when the last thing required by their audience is the silvery laugh. I'll bet he had a shiner. I beg your pardon. Was his eye black? Yes, it was. I thought it would be. Harold's strength 
is as the strength of ten, because his heart is pure. Well, now how about that embodying letter? I have a fountain pen. Let's get this show on the road. I was expecting Pop Bassett to give an impersonation of a bomb falling on an ammunition dump, but he didn't. Instead, he continued to exhibit that sort of chilly stiffness which you see in magistrates when they're fining people five quid for boyish peccadilloes. You appear to be under a misapprehension, Stephanie. He said in the metallic voice he had once used when addressing the prisoner Worcester, I have no intention of entrusting Mr. Pinker with a vicarage. Stiffy took this big. She shook from windswept hairdo to shoe sole, and if she hadn't clutched at Stinker's arm, might have taken a toss. One could understand her emotion. She had been coasting along, confident she had it made, and suddenly out of the blue and smiling sky these words of doom. No doubt it was the suddenness and unexpectedness of the wallop that unmanned her. If you can call it unmanned when it happened to a girl. I suppose she was feeling very much as Spode had felt when Emerald Stoker's basin had connected with his occiput. Her eyes bulged and her voice came out in a passionate squeak. But Uncle Watkin... You promised! I could have told her she was wasting her breath trying to appeal to the old buzzard's better feelings. Because magistrates, even when X, don't have any. The tremolo in her voice might have been expected to melt what is usually called a heart of stone, but it had no more effect on Pop Bassett than the chirping of the household canary. Provisionally only. I was not aware when I did so that Mr. Pinker had brutally assaulted Roderick. At these words, Stinker, who had been listening to the exchanges in a rigid sort of way, creating the illusion that he had been stuffed by a good taxidermist, came suddenly to life, though all he did was make a sound like the last drops of water going out of a bathtub. It was hardly worth the trouble and expense. He succeeded, however, in attracting Pop Bassett's attention, and the latter gave him the eye. Yes, Mr. Pinker. It was a moment or two before Stinker fouled up the gurgling noise with speech, and even then, it wasn't much in the way of speech. He said, I, um, he, um, um, proceed, Mr. Pinker. It was, I, it wasn't. If you could make yourself a little plainer, Mr. Pinker, it would be of great assistance to our investigation into the matter under discussion. I must confess to finding you far from lucid. It was the type of crack he had been accustomed in the old Bosher Street days to seeing in print with laughter after it in brackets, but on this occasion it felt flatter than a Dover soul. Didn't get a snicker out of me or out of Stinker, who merely knocked over a small china ornament and turned a deeper vermilion, while Stiffy came back at him in great shape. There's no need to talk like a magistrate, Uncle Watkin. I beg your pardon. In fact, it would be better if you stopped talking at all and let me explain. What Harold's trying to tell you is that he didn't brutally assault Roderick. Roderick brutally assaulted him. Indeed. That was not the way I heard the story. Well, it's the way it happened. I am perfectly willing to hear your version of the deplorable incident. All right, then. Here it is. Harold was cooing to Roderick like a turtle dove, and Roderick suddenly hauled off and plugged him squarely on the beezer. If you don't believe me, take a look at it. The poor angel spouted blood like a Versailles fountain. Well, what would you have expected Harold to do? Turn the other nose? I would have expected him to remember his position as a clerk in holy orders. He should have complained to me, 
and I would have seen to it that Roderick made ample apology. A sound like the shot heard round the world rang through the room. It was Stiffy snorting. Apology? She cried, having got the snort out of her system. What's the good of apologies? Harold took the only possible course. He sailed in and laid Roderick out cold, as anyone would have done in his place. Anyone who had not his cloth to think of. Oh, for goodness sake, Uncle Watkin, a fellow can't be thinking of cloth all the time. It was an emergency. Roderick was murdering Gussie Finknoddle. And Pinker stopped him? Great heavens. There was a pause while Pop Bassett struggled with his feelings. Then Stiffy, as Stinker had done with Spode, had a shot at the honeyed word. She had spoken of Stinker cooing to Spode like a turtle dove, and if memory served me right, that was just how he had cooed, and it was of a cooing turtle dove that she now reminded me. Like most girls, she can always get a melting note into her voice if she thinks there's any percentage to be derived from it. It's not like you, Uncle Watkin, to go back on your solemn promise. I could have corrected her there. I would have thought it was just like him. I can't believe it's really you who's doing this cruel thing to me. It's so unlike you. You've always been so kind to me. You've made me love and respect you. I've come to look on you as a second father. Don't louse up the whole thing now. A powerful plea, which with any other man would have undoubtedly brought home the bacon. With Pop Bassett, it didn't get to first base. He'd been looking like a man with no bowels. Of compassion, I mean, of course. And he went on looking like one. If by that peculiar expression you intend to imply you are expecting to change my mind and give Mr. Pinker this vicarage, I must disappoint you. I shall do no such thing. I consider that he has shown himself unfit to be a vicar. And I am surprised that, after what has occurred, he can reconcile it with his conscience to continue his duties as a curate. Strong stuff, of course. And it drew from Stinker what may have been a hollow groan, or may have been a hiccup. I myself looked coldly at the old egg, and I rather think I curled my lip, though I should say it very doubtful if he noticed my scorn, for his attention was earmarked for Stiffy. She had turned almost as scarlet as Stinker, and I heard a distinct click as her front teeth met. It was through these teeth clenched that she spoke. So that's how you feel about it? It is. Your decision is final? Quite final. Nothing will move you? Nothing. I see. Well, you'll be sorry then. I disagree with you. You will. Just wait. Bitter remorse is coming to you, Uncle Watkin. Never underestimate the power of a woman. Said Stiffy, with a choking sob, though there again it may have been a hiccup. She rushed from the room. She had scarcely left us when Butterfield entered, and Pop Bassett eyed him with the ill-concealed petulance with which men of testy habit eye butlers who butt in at the wrong moment. Yes, Butterfield, what is it? What is it? Constable Oates desires a word with you, sir. Who? Police Constable Oates, sir. What does he want? I gather he has a clue to the identity of the boy who threw the hard-boiled egg at you, sir. The words act on Pop Bassett, as I'm told, the sound of bugles act on war horses. Not that I've ever seen a war horse. His whole demeanour changed in a flash. His face lit up, and there came into it 
the sort of look you see on the faces of bloodhounds when they settle down to the trail. He didn't actually say whoopee, but that was probably because the expression was not familiar to him. He was out of the room in a matter of seconds. Butterfield, lying some lengths behind, and Stinker, who had been replacing a framed photograph, which he had knocked off a neighboring table, addressed me in what you might call a hushed voice. Oh, say, Bertie, what do you think Stiffy meant when she said that? I, too, had been speculating as to what the young pipsqueak had had in mind. A sinister thing to say, it seemed to me. Those words, just wait, had an ominous ring. I weighed his question gravely. Difficult to decide, I said. Maybe one thing, or maybe another. She's got such an impulsive nature. Very impulsive. Makes me uneasy. Why you? Pop B's the one who ought to be feeling uneasy. Knowing her as I do, if I were in his place. The sentence I had begun would, if it had come to fruition, have concluded with the words, I'd pack a few necessities in a suitcase and go to Australia. But as I was about to utter them, I chanced to glance out the window and they froze on my lips. The window looked out on the drive, and from where I was standing, I got a good view of the front steps, and when I saw what was coming up those front steps, my heart leapt from its base. It was Plank! There was no mistaking that square-tanned face and that purposeful walk of his. When I reflected that in about a couple of ticks, Butterfield would be showing him into the drawing room where I stood, and we would meet once more, I confess that I was momentarily at a loss to know how to proceed. My first thought was to wait till he had got through the front door and then nip out of the window, which was conveniently opened. That, I felt, was what Napoleon would have done, and I was just about to get the show on the road, as Stiffy would have said, when I saw the dog Bartholomew come sauntering along, and I knew I would be compelled to revise my strategy from the bottom up. You can't go climbing out of windows under the eyes of an Aberdeen terrier as prone as Bartholomew was always to think the worst. In due season, no doubt, he would learn what he had taken for a burglar escaping with the swag had been in reality a harmless guest of the house, and would be all apologies, but by that time my lower slopes would be as full of holes as a Swiss cheese. Falling back on my second line of defense, I slid behind the sofa with a muttered, Not a word to a soul, Stinker. This is a chap I don't want to meet. I was nestling there like a turtle in its shell when the door opened. Chapter 20 it's pretty generally recognized at the Drones Club and elsewhere that Bertram Worcester is a man who knows how to keep the chin up and the upper lip stiff, no matter how rough the going may be. Beneath the bludgeonings of fate, his head is bloody but unbowed, as the fellow said. In a word, he can take it. But I must admit that as I crouched in my haven of refuge, I found myself chafing not a little. Life at Totley Towers, as I mentioned earlier, had got me down. There seemed no way of staying put in the downed house. One was either soaring like an eagle on top of chests or whizzing down behind sofas like a diving duck. And apart from the hustle and bustle of it all, that sort of thing wounds the spirit and does no good to the trouser crease. And so, I say, I chafed. I was becoming increasingly bitter about this man Plank and the tendency he seemed to be developing of haunting me like a family spectre. I couldn't imagine what he was doing here. Whatever the faults of Totley Towers, I had supposed that, when there, one would at least be free from his society. He had an excellent home in Hockley-cum-Meston, and one sought in vain for an explanation of why the hell he didn't stay in it. My disapproval extended to the personnel of the various native tribes he had encountered in the course of his explorations. 
on his own showing he had for years been horning in uninvited on the aborigines of Brazil, the Congo, and elsewhere, and not one of them apparently had had the enterprise to get after him with a spear or to say it with poisoned darts from the family blowpipe. And these were fellows who called themselves savages. Savages, forsooth! The savages in the books I used to read in my childhood would have had him in the obituary column before he could say what ho. But the ones you get nowadays, it's all slackness and laissez-faire. Can't be bothered. Leave it to somebody else. Let George do it. One sometimes wonders what the world is coming to. From where I sat, my range of vision was necessarily a bit restricted, but I was able to see a pair of empire-building brogue shoes. So I assumed that when the door had opened, it was Butterfield showing him in, and this surmise was confirmed a moment later when he spoke. His was a voice which, once heard, lingers in the memory. Afternoon, he said. Good afternoon, said Stinker. Warm day. Very warm. What's been going on here? Where? What are all those tents and swings and things in the park? Stinker explained that the annual school treat had only just concluded, and Plank expressed his gratification at having missed it. School treats, he said, were dashed dangerous things, always to be avoided by the shrewd, as they were only too apt to include competitions for bonny babies. Did you have a competition for bonny babies? Yes, we did, as a matter of fact. The mothers always insist on it. The mothers are the ones you want to watch out for, said Plank. I'm not saying the little beasts aren't bad enough themselves, dribbling out of the side of their mouths at you and all that sort of thing, but it's the mothers who constitute the really grave peril. Look, he said, and I think at this point he must have pulled up a trouser leg. See that scar on my calf? That's what I got in Peru once for being fool enough to let myself be talked into judging a competition for bonny babies. The mother of one of the honourably mentioned spiked me in the leg with a native dagger as I stepped down from the judge's stand after making my speech. It hurt like sin, I can assure you, and still gives me a twinge when the weather's wet. Fellow I know is fond of saying that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Whether this is so or not, I couldn't tell you, but it certainly knows how to handle a Peruvian dagger. I found myself revising to some extent the rather austere opinion I had formed of the slackness and lack of ginger of the modern native. The males might have lost their grip in recent years, but the female element, it seemed, still had the right stuff in them. Though, of course, where somebody like Plank is concerned, a stab in the fleshy part of the leg is only a step in the right direction, merely scratching the surface, as you might say. Plank continued chattily. You live in these parts? He asked. Yes, I live in the village. Totley? Yes. Don't run a rugger club in Totley, do you? Stinker replied in the negative. The Totley and the world athletes, he said, preferred the association code. And Plank, probably shuddering, said, Good God, have you ever played rugger? A little. You should take it up seriously. No final sport. I'm trying to make the hockley Meston team the talk of Gloucestershire. I coach the boys daily. And they're coming along very nicely, very nicely indeed. What I need, though, is a good prop forward. What he got was Pop Bassett, who came bustling in at this moment. He good afternoon Plank, and Plank responded in suitable terms. Very nice of you to look me up, Plank, said Pop. Will you have something to drink? Ah, said Plank, and you could see that he meant it. I would ask you to stay for dinner, but unfortunately one of my guests has eloped with the cook. 
Dash sensible of him if he was going to elope with anyone. Very hard to find cooks these days. It has, of course, completely disorganized our domestic arrangements. Neither my daughter nor my niece is capable of preparing even the simplest meal. Uh, you'll have to go to the pub, then. It seems the only solution. If you were in West Africa, you could drop in and take pot luck with a native chief. I am not in West Africa. Said Pop Bassett, speaking, I thought, a little testily. And I could understand him feeling a bit miffed. It's always annoying when you're up against it, and people tell you what a jolly time you could be having if you weren't, and how topping everything would be if you were somewhere where you aren't. I dined out a good deal in West Africa, said Plank. Capital dinners some of those fellows used to give me, I remember. Though there was always the drawback that you could never be sure the main dish wasn't one of their wives' relations, broiled over a slow fire and disguised in some native sauce, took the edge off your appetite, unless you were feeling particularly peckish. So I would be disposed to imagine. All a matter of taste, of course. Quite. Was there something you particularly wished to see me about, Plank? No, nothing I can think of. Then if you'll excuse me, I will be getting back to Madeline. Who's Madeline? My daughter. Your arrival interrupted me in a serious talk I was having with her. Is there something wrong with the girl? Something extremely wrong. She is contemplating making a disastrous marriage. Yes, but all marriages are disastrous, said Plank, who gave one the impression, reading between the lines, that he was a bachelor. They always lead to bonny babies, and bonny babies lead to bonny baby competitions. I was telling this gentleman here of an experience I had in Peru, and showing him the scar on my leg, the direct result of being ass enough to judge one of those competitions. Would you care to see the scar on my leg? Some other time, perhaps. Any time that suits you. Why is this marriage you say she's contemplating so disastrous? Because Mr. Worcester is not a suitable husband for her. Who is Mr. Worcester? The man she wishes to marry. A typical young wastrel of the type so common nowadays. I used to know a fellow called Worcester, but I don't suppose it can be the same chap because my Worcester was eaten by a crocodile on the Zambezi the other day, which rather rules him out. All right, Bassett, you pop back to the girl and tell her from me that if she's going to start marrying every Tom, Dick, and Harry she comes across, she ought to have her head examined. If she'd seen as many native chiefs' wives as I have, she wouldn't be wanting to make such an ass of herself. Dickens of a life they lead, these women. Nothing to do but grind maize meal and have bonny babies. Right-ho, Bassett, don't let me keep you. There came a sound of a closing door as Pop Bassett sped on his way, and Plank turned his attention back to Stinker, and he said, I didn't tell that old ass because I didn't want him sticking around in here, talking his head off, but as a matter of fact I did come about something special. Do you happen to know where I can find a chap called Pinker? My name's Pinker. Are you sure? I thought Bassett said it was Worcester. No. Worcester's the one who's going to marry Sir Watkins' daughter. So he is. It all comes back to me now. I wonder if you can be the fellow I want. The pinker I'm after is a curate. I'm a curate? You are? Yes, by Jove, you're perfectly right. I can see your collar buttons at the back. 
You're not HP, Pinker, by any chance? Yes. Prop forward for Oxford in England a few years ago? Yes. Would you be interested in becoming a vicar? There was a crashing sound, and I knew that Stinker and his emotion must have upset his customary table. After a while, he said in a husky voice that the one thing he wanted was to get his hooks on a vicarage, or was that effect, and Plank said he was glad to hear it. My chap at Hockley-cum-Meston is downing tools now that his ninetieth birthday is approaching, and I've been scouring the countryside for a spare. Extraordinarily difficult the quest has been, because what I wanted was a vicar who was a good prop forward, and it isn't often you find a person who knows one end of a football from the other. I've never seen you play, I'm sorry to say, because I've been abroad so much, but with your record you must obviously be outstanding." so you can take up your duties as soon as old Bellamy goes into storage. When I get home, I'll embody the thing in the form of a letter. Stinker said he didn't know how to thank him, and Plank said it was all right, no need for any thanks. I'm the one who ought to be grateful. We're all right at half-back and three-quarters, but we lost to upper bleaching last year, simply because our prop forward proved a broken reed. This year we'll show them. Amazing bit of luck finding you, and I could never have done it if it hadn't been for a friend of mine, a Chief Inspector Witherspoon of Scotland Yard. He phoned me just now and told me you were to be found at Totley in the World. He said if I called at Totley Towers they would give me your address. Extraordinary how these Scotland Yard fellows knows things out. The result of years of practice, I suppose. What was that noise? Stinker said he heard nothing. Sort of a gasping noise seemed to come from behind that sofa. Let's take a look. I was aware for a moment of Stinker's face peering down at me, then he turned away. There's nothing behind the sofa, he said, very decently imperiling his immortal soul by falsifying the facts on behalf of a pal. Oh, I thought it might be a dog being sick, said Plank, and I suppose it had sounded rather like that. The revelation of Jeeves's black treachery had shaken me to my foundations, causing me to forget that in the existing cirques silence was golden. A silly thing to do, of course, to gasp like that, but dash it, if for years you have nursed a gentleman's personal gentleman to your bosom, and out of the blue sky you found he has deliberately sicked Brazilian explorers onto you, I maintain that you're fully entitled to behave like a dog in the throes of nausea. I could make nothing of his scurvy conduct, and was so stunned that for a minute or two I lost the thread of the conversation. When the mist cleared, Plank was speaking and the subject had been changed. I wonder how Bassett is getting on with that daughter of his. Do you know anything about this chap, Worcester? He's one of my best friends. Bassett doesn't seem too fond of him. No. Ah, well, we all have our likes and dislikes. Which of the two girls is this Madeline he was speaking of? I've never met them, but I've seen them around. Is she the little squirt with the large blue eyes? I should imagine Stinker didn't care over much for hearing his loved one described as a little squirt, though reason must have told him that that was precisely what she was, but he replied without heat. No, that's Sir Watkins niece, Stephanie Bing. Bing! Now why does that name seem to ring a bell? Oh yes, of course, old Johnny Bing, who was with me on one of my expeditions. Red-haired fellow. Haven't seen him for years. He was bitten by a puma, poor chap, and they tell me he still hesitates in a rather noticeable manner before sitting down. Stephanie Bing, huh? You know her, of course? Very well. 
Nice girl. That's how she seems to me. And if you don't mind, I'll be going and telling her the good news. What good news? About the vicarage. Oh, yes. You think she'll be interested? I'm sure she will be. We're going to be married. Oh, good gosh. No chance of getting out of it. I don't want to get out of it. Amazing. I once hitchhiked all the way from Johannesburg to Cape Town to avoid getting married, and here you are seeming quite pleased at the prospect. Oh, well, no accounting for taste. All right, you run along, and I suppose I'd better have a word with Bassett before I leave. Fellow bores me stiff, but one has to be civil. The door closed and silence fell, and after waiting a few minutes just in case, I felt it was safe to surface, and I had just done so and was limbering up the limbs, which had become somewhat cramped, when the door opened and Jeeves came in, carrying a tray. Chapter 21 Good evening, sir, he said. Would you care for an appetizer? I was obliging Mr. Butterfield by bringing them. He is engaged at the moment in listening at the door of the room where Sir Watkin is in conference with Miss Bassett. He tells me he is compiling his memoirs, and never misses an opportunity of gathering suitable material. I gave the man one of my looks. My face was cold and hard, like a school-treat egg. I can't remember a time when I have been fuller of righteous indignation. What I want, Cheese, is not a slab of wet bread with a dead sardine on it. Anchovy, sir. Or anchovy. I'm in no mood to split straws. I require an explanation, and a categorical one at that. Sir? You can't evade the issue by surring. Answer me this, Jeeves, with a simple yes or no. Why did you tell Plank to come to Totley Towers? I thought the query would crumple him up like a damp sock. We didn't so much as shuffle a foot. My heart was melted by Miss Bing's tale of her misfortune, sir. I chanced to encounter the young lady and found her in a state of considerable despondency as a result of Sir Watkins' refusal to bestow a vicarage on Mr. Pinker. I perceived immediately that it was within my power to alleviate her distress. I had learned at the post office at Hockley-cum-Meston that the incumbent there was retiring shortly, and being cognizant of Major Plank's desire to strengthen the Hockley-cum-Meston forward line, I felt that it would be an excellent idea to place him in communication with Mr. Pinker. In order to be in a position to marry Miss Bing, Mr. Pinker requires a vicarage, and in order to compete successfully with rival villages in the football arena, Major Plank is in need of a vicar with Mr. Pinker's wide experience as a prop forward. Their interests appeared to me to be identical. Well, it worked all right. Stinker has clicked. He is to succeed Mr. Bellamy as incumbent at Hockley cum Meston, then? As soon as Bellamy calls it a day. I'm very happy to hear that, sir. I didn't reply for a while, being obliged to attend to a sudden touch of cramp. This ironed out, I said, still icy. You may be happy, but I haven't been for the last quarter of an hour or so, nestling behind the sofa, expecting Plank at any moment to unmask me. It didn't occur to you to envisage what would happen if he met me. I was sure that your keen intelligence would enable you to find a means of avoiding him, sir, as indeed it did. You concealed yourself behind the sofa? On all fours. A very shrewd manoeuvre on your part, if I may say so, sir. It showed a resource and swiftness of thought which it would be difficult to overpraise. 
My iciness melted. It is not too much to say that I was mollified. It's not often that I'm given the old oil in this fashion. Most of my circle, notably my Aunt Agatha, being more prone to the slam than the rave. And it was only after I'd been savouring that keen intelligence gag, if savouring is the word I want, for some moments that I suddenly remembered that marriage with Madeline Bassett loomed ahead, and I gave a start so visible that he asked me if I was feeling unwell. I shook the loaf. Physically, no, Jeeves. Spiritually, yes. I do not quite understand you, sir. Well, here is the news, and this is Bertram Worcester reading it. I'm going to be married. Indeed, sir. Yes, Jeeves, married. The bands are as good as up. Would it be taking a liberty if I were to ask? Who to? You don't need to ask. Gussie Finknoddle has eloped with Emerald Stoker, thus creating a... a what, are you, what is it? Would vacuum be the word you are seeking, sir? That's right, a vacuum. Which I shall have to fill, unless you can think of some way of getting me out of it. I will devote considerable thought to the matter, sir. Thank you, Jeeves, I said, and would have spoken further, but at this moment I saw the door opening. But it wasn't as I had feared Plank, it was only Stiffy. Hello, you two, she said. I'm looking for Harold. I could see at a G that Jeeves had been right in describing her demeanour as despondent. The brow was clouded, the general appearance that of an overwrought soul. I was glad to be in a position to inject a little sunshine into her life. Pigeonholing my own troubles for future reference, I said, He was looking for you. He has a strange story to relate. You know Plank? Yes, what about him? I'll tell you what about him. Plank to you hitherto has been merely a shadowy figure who hangs out at Hunkley come Meston and sells black amber statuettes to people. But he has another side to him. She betrayed a certain impatience. If you think I'm interested in Plank... Aren't you? No, I'm not. You will be. He has, as I was saying, another side to him. He is a landed proprietor with vicarages in his gift. And to cut a long story down to a short short, as one always likes to do when possible, he has given one to Stinker. I had been right in supposing that the information would have a marked effect on her dark mood. I have never actually seen a corpse spring from its buyer and start being the life and soul of the party, but I should imagine that its deportment would very closely resemble that of this young Bing as the impact of my words came home to her. A sudden light shone to her eyes, which, as Plank had correctly said, were large and blue, and an ecstatic well Lord Lubbock Duck escaped her. Then doubt seemed to creep in, for the eyes clattered over again. Is this true? Absolutely official. You're not just pulling my leg? I drew myself up rather haughtily. I wouldn't dream of pulling your leg. Do you think Bertram Worcester is the sort of chap who thinks it's funny to raise people's hopes only to... to... what, Jeeves? Dash them to the ground, sir. Thank you, Jeeves. Not at all, sir. You may take this information as coming straight from the mouth of the stable cat. I was present when the deal went through. Behind the sofa, but present. She still seemed at a loss. But I don't understand. Plank has never even met Harold. Jeeves brought them together. Did you, Jeeves? Yes, miss. That a boy. Thank you, miss. And he's really giving Harold a vicarage? The vicarage of Hockley Comeston. He's embodying it in the former letter tonight. At the moment there's a victor still vicking. But he's infirm and old and wants to turn it up as soon as they can put on an understudy. The way things look, I should imagine that we shall be able to unleash Stinker on the Hockley Comeston souls in the course of the next few days. 
My simple words and earnest manner had resolved the last of her doubts. The misgivings she may have had as to whether this was the real ginger vanished. Her eyes shone like twin stars than anything, and she uttered animal cries and danced a few steps. Presently she paused and put a question. What's Plank like? How do you mean, what's he like? He hasn't a beard, has he? No, no beard. That's good, because I want to kiss him, and if he had a beard it would give me pause. Well, dismiss the notion, I urged, for Plank's psychology was an open book to me. The whole trend of that confirmed bachelor's conversation had left me with the impression that he would find it infinitely preferable to be spiked in the leg with a native dagger than to have popsies covering his upturned face with kisses. You'd have a fit, I said. Well, I must kiss somebody. Shall I kiss you, Jeeves? No, thank you, miss. You, Bertie? I'd rather you didn't. Well, then I have a good mind to go and kiss Uncle Watkin, louse of the first water, though he has recently shown himself. How do you mean recently? And having kissed him, I shall tell him the news and taunt him vigorously with having let a good thing get away from him. I shall tell him that when he declined to avail himself of Harold's services, he was like the Indian. I didn't get the drift. What Indian? The base one my governesses used to make me read about. The poor simp whose hand... Oh, how does it go, Jeeves? Threw a pearl away richer than all his tribe, miss. That's right, and I shall tell him I hope the vicar he does get will be a weed of a man who has a chronic cold in the head and bleats. Oh, by the way, talking of Uncle Watkin reminds me. I shall not have a use for this now. And so speaking, she reduced that blasted black amber eyesore from the recesses of her costume, like a conjurer taking a rabbit out of a hat. <laughs>